And two weeks ago on New Year's Day, we introduced our theme for the year here at Mission Covenant Church in 2023, Trusting God. Then last week, we talked about trusting God's will in our lives as we introduced Prayer Week. Now today we're beginning our discussion about the attributes of God. The triune God of the universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has revealed himself to us through certain qualities and characteristics. And these are not mere superficial distinctions, but rather attributes that coincide with God's being. Some scholars believe that it's helpful in this context to speak of God's perfections rather than God's attributes. Now, it's important at this juncture that we distinguish God's incommunicable attributes from his communicable ones. God's incommunicable attributes or perfections would be, for example, God's self-existence, which has no analogy among human beings. An example of God's communicable attributes or perfections would be his love, God's love or God's justice because they can be reflected in other moral agents. John Calvin once said, God to keep us sober, that means serious, speaks sparingly of his essence. And with that in mind and being careful not to omit any feature of God's disclosure, we are beginning this study of God's attributes, which points out to why our God is trustworthy. We're asking people in 2023 to trust God. We're going to be trusting in God, but we want you to know why God is so trustworthy. And in this sermon series, we will exercise wisdom to avoid over-detailed descriptions and over-detailed distinctions about our God, whose perfections exist within the Godhead in an indivisible unity. Now, God's desire is to be known. He desires that we explore a deeper understanding of him. Our infinite God invites us finite beings to explore the wonders of his being and to grow in our trust of him. And yet the Bible teaches that we can never fully comprehend God. Psalm 145 verse 3 says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Isaiah 55 Verses 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Now, one of the great paradoxes of Scripture is that the God who cannot be completely known in his perfections invites us to discover who he is so that we can learn to trust him. And when we think about it, If we could explain everything there is to explain about God, what kind of God would we be worshiping? You know, what kind of God would Yahweh be if we could explain every single detail about God's being and character? What kind of God would that be? That would be a human-made God. That would not be an infinite God. And since we are finite beings and God is infinite, there is a built-in barrier to a total comprehensive understanding of God. The finite cannot exhaustively understand and comprehend the infinite, which is why there is actually a doctrine that exists that's called the incomprehensibility of God. Now, this does not mean that we do not know anything about God. Rather, it means that our knowledge is partial. 
It's limited. It falls short of total comprehension. And what knowledge we do have is through revelation. The Bible is God's self-revelation to us. And we know God and we can know God according to the degree that God has chosen to reveal himself to us in his word. Now, a good way to think about this is the way the late theologian R.C. Sproul used to say it. He said, the finite can grasp the infinite, but the finite can never hold the infinite within its grasp. There's always more to God than we can ever apprehend. And Deuteronomy 29, verse 29 says as much. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Yes, there's a portion of divine knowledge that's hidden from our eyes, and, the, and we work, and we live in light of what God has revealed. Like we just read just a few moments ago in our scripture reading from Psalm 115, verse 3, our God is in heaven and does whatever pleases him. Whether we completely comprehend that or understand that or know that's what's going to happen, that's what God does. Now let me read for you the first nine verses of Psalm 115, verses 1 through 9, and then I'll comment in a few places. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is your God. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them and so will all who trust in them all you israelites trust in the lord he is our help and our shield verse 2 raises the questions of outsiders they like to ask where is your god we can't see your god we can't see him where is your God. Then the rest of that section talks about idols and, and, and why idols are so attractive is because they're man-made. And earlier I mentioned and I explained why we can't describe everything there is to describe about God is because if we could, that would be a man-made God. That would be an idol and it would be all visible. And there's no question historically for Israel or even during New Testament times, that many people have found serving God difficult because God is not physically visible. In our world, the saying goes, out of sight, out of what? Out of mind. If we don't see it, we don't think about it. And there's no question about it. It's very difficult to live one's life dedicated to someone or dedicated to something that you can't physically see. Imagine being married but never physically being able to see your spouse. Think about that for a moment, okay? It would be hard to be fully committed and devoted to such a relationship when you can never see them, especially when enticing temptations might come along. That's the history of Israel. 
right there in a nutshell. Being married to God, but not always physically being able to see this particular God. But these idols, you can see them. They're they're attractive because they're right there. We also hear people say in our world, when I see it, I will what? I'll believe it. When I see it, that's when I'm going to believe it. In other words, something isn't real or true until I can physically experience it with my senses. Now, one of the difficulties of the Christian life is that God is rarely uh, perceived through our physical senses. Yet one of the great hopes of our Christian faith is that one day we will see God as he is. And there's more to it. Because then we will be like him. Not like people are like their idols here that they make out of gold and silver and things that they adhere to in their lives. That, that They're like that. No, no. Jesus is coming back. And we're going to see him as he is. And we will be like him. 1 John 3 verse 2 says this. Dear friends... Now, we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And the Latin translation of that at the end of that verse means, as he is himself. We will see him as he is himself. Self, which means that which is concealed from our eyes right now regarding the substance, regarding the essence of God will all be seen in all of God's glory, in all of God's splendor, in all of God's majesty when Christ returns. For now, the time being, the Bible tells us in John chapter 4, verse 24, that God is spirit. And those who worship God must worship him in spirit and truth. And Jesus also said, In Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's a spiritual sight and a seeing that we have. Now, when we speak about the perfections of God, the attributes we are referring to are the characteristics which describe God's being. God is self-existent. God is holy. God is immutable, meaning that God is unchanging. God is omniscient omnipresent, omnipotent. That means that God is all-knowing. That's what omniscience is. That God is omnipresent means he's present everywhere. And that God is omnipotent means that he's all-powerful. And when we describe someone's attributes, if we're talking about a person's attributes, we usually make a distinction between the person and between their attributes. For instance, you might say that your mother is patient. But you would never go as far as to say, your mother is patience. Do you understand that distinction? Or you might, we might say that our sister is loving, but we would never go as far as to say, my sister is love. We wouldn't do that. We would never characterize people as a list of attributes. God is different, though, from human beings in that God in his being in the first place is what defines these attributes. God in his very essence, his very being is such and such. Let's say, for instance, God is holy. That means God is perfectly righteous. He's set apart from us. This is a God who's holy and never changes. Now, when we study a particular attribute of God, we are not dissecting God into composite parts. God is this plus this plus this, and the aggregate equals such and such. 
No, when we focus our attention for a moment on one dimension of God, we are simply looking at one aspect of God's being. For instance, next week we're going to be speaking about the goodness of God. We do this to help us enhance our understanding of God because the only way to know God and the only way to grow in our knowledge of God is through that biblical study of God's attributes, God's perfections. Now, the more we understand the attributes of God, the more we understand God's being, the more we understand God's character, and the more motivated we become to obey and worship God. So let's take the remainder of our time here this morning and grow in our knowledge of the perfections of God. When the Bible teaches that God is the creator of the universe, it indicates that God himself is not created. Yes, the creation bears the stamp of the creator. It has order. It has intelligent design. There's harmony. Frankly, just think of it this way. It works. It works. The sun shines. The earth rotates. The water flows. You know, the soil has pH levels to it. There's seasons come, seasons go. Rains come, rains don't. They, there's the planting season. There's all these things happen. And, and creation bears testimony to the glory of God. But the creation itself is never to be worshipped. Yes, it's to be cared for. It needs to be managed well. It needs to be conserved and preserved and appreciated. But it's not worshipped and not to be worshipped as some do as they declare it as Mother Earth. Or the one I uh, have heard many times, Mother, you know, Lake Superior as the source of life. Yes, the water's important and it does a lot of great things for us. But the creation itself is not supreme. Lake Superior is not supreme. God is. And it's impossible for something to create itself. Do you understand that? Self-creation is a nonsensical term. It is a contradiction. Nothing can be self-created. Not even God can make himself. For that to happen, God would have to be before God is. Even God can't do that. And also by definition, every effect must have a cause. God is not an effect. God has no beginning and thus no antecedent cause. God is eternal. God always was and always will be. God has within himself the power of being. God requires no assistance from outside sources to continue to exist. This is what is meant by this concept of being self-existent, which, by the way, is a real contrast to our lives because we know of nothing else like it. Everything that we are aware of is dependent and is creaturely. We know of nothing else that is self-existent. This, in fact, is what differentiates God from creation. This is what make God, makes God the supreme being and the source of all other beings, which is why we happen to be so dependent upon God. Acts 17, verse 28, Paul spelled this out loud and clear. In him we live and move and have our being. In Psalm 139, it talks about how God knit us together in our mother's womb. And then it goes on to say in verse 16, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them 
came to be. We're completely dependent as part of the creation upon God giving us life and breath and being and existence and the number of days we even get to live on this planet. Now there's another psalm, Psalm 102, that's known as a psalm of lament where we have an afflicted person who's pouring out their heart to God. And in this psalm, what moved the author away from their pain and away from their complaint was their trust in God. And where did this writer get such confidence? It was from the unchanging nature of God. Psalm 102, verse 12 says, But you, Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your your renown endures through all generation. And here's the thing. God's unchanging nature stands in stark contrast to all the decay and all of the changing values and all of the discarding of truth that we see in the world around us. Frankly, we see it every day in the world around us. In the Hebrew language, the words are even more striking. The first line reads like this in that verse, and you are he. You are he. You're God. All of this echoes Psalm 103, which says, Know that the Lord is God. And the idea here is that he is the same God, as the Bible says, yesterday, today, and forever. God is the one who does not change. God is immutable. God is not the God who was, nor the God who will be, but he is the God who is. And as we look at 2023 before us, with this theme now of trusting God, remember, God stands in contrast to this physical world, which suffers from decay, from change, and decline. God is the constant one. God's essence and being are never altered, either by himself or by any external cause. God is our anchor point in a world that is driven by the winds of circumstances, our worlds that are often driven by the winds of circumstances. And no matter how much the world changes around us and situations beyond our control seem to blow us aimlessly around, God remains the constant one. Because God does not change. The God of the Old Testament who acted on behalf of his people is the same God who will act on our behalf. So as you go through the weeks and the months to come and face pressures and struggles, associated with life in this fallen world. Be open and honest with God, the perfect God, the eternal, self-existent, holy, and righteous God. Be honest in prayer with God about what you are going through, and then be confident that our unchanging God will act on your behalf. Trust God. Would you pray with me, please? God, our Father, we thank you for your being, for who you are. And Lord, we readily acknowledge today that we can't begin to comprehend your vastness, your greatness, your power, who you are and all your being. And even being self-existent is enough to blow our minds. But God, thank you for inviting us into this study to recognize what you revealed about yourself to us. Help us to grow deeper in that knowledge and understanding. So God, moving forward from this day on, that we will trust you completely with all our hearts and with our lives. 
So God, we surrender this to you right now. I ask you to do a great work in our lives as we study these next half a dozen weeks about your attributes, your perfections. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.